Hello, folks. This is The Cole Memo. I'm your host, Cole Preston. Every episode is released in audio, video, and transcript format. To find the transcript, audio, or video version of any episode, please refer to the description that you're listening to now. Within the description of this episode, you can find a link that will take you to our website, which will display the transcript for this episode and the platforms where you can find this episode in audio or video formats. If you're unable to locate the episode description on whichever platform you're listening from, simply note the episode number and visit thecolememo.com. Folks, I just rolled out new search functionality. So uh, just search in the episode number that you're listening to now and it'll pull it right up. You can find the corresponding episode from there. And like I say, you'll be able to see that audio, video, and transcript version. You might also find any links that we referenced during this episode. If you're not listening to this episode of The Cole Memo on Patreon, then you're listening to this episode later than our patrons. To become a patron, go to thecolememo.com slash Patreon. This show is supported by listeners like you. It only costs $3 a month, and you get the shows as they release. Uh, but one but... One of the best ways to support our show is absolutely free. Just subscribe to the show, follow it, leave a positive review, or share it with your friends. Your engagement and support is appreciated. Today is February 7th, 2024. Boy, we're already getting through this year. Um, I am so excited to welcome Ryan from Merimed. Ryan, how's it going? Good afternoon, Cole. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, go ahead and uh, introduce yourself uh, to our audience. Tell us what you do with Merimed, and uh, we'll go from there. Sure, sir. Thank you. Hey, I'm Ryan Crandall, so I'm with Merimed. I am the chief revenue officer at Merimed, also uh, one of the founders of Betty's Eddie's, and uh, we are a multi-state operator and uh, just uh, are about to get our products widely distributed in the state of Illinois, so a very exciting time. Yes, indeed, indeed. Um, you just got into the Illinois cannabis industry. I actually spoke with, I think it's your CEO, uh, John Levine at uh, Benzinga. So I'll be releasing that interview alongside. I real I was looking for it online and I was like, huh, that's been a Patreon exclusive for, I guess, months now. So that'll be rolling out alongside this interview. So folks, check that out. Um, it's a it's a quick one because I caught him <laughs> caught him off stage and he was kind enough to speak to me. Um, but yeah, thank you for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Um, is it Merimed.com? What's the website so that folks can, uh, sure. Yeah. www.merimedinc.com. Perfect. Perfect. I'll try to throw that in the podcast description. If that, if that makes it easier on you folks, um, curious, Ryan, how'd you find yourself in the cannabis industry, dude? Oh man. It's, uh, it's an interesting story for each one of us. Right. Um, you know, my short story, my my abridged version is, uh, you know, I've always been a cannabis advocate, whether, uh, you know, it, you know, kind of openly or, or not. Um, I've always been the edibles guy in my in my clan. So, you know, I I, uh, I always liked kind of turning oils into into edible products. And and that was really my entryway. Uh, you know, we um, I had a group of folks that we formed a not for profit. We applied for a license in mass. We were unsuccessful. But ultimately, uh, me and a group of folks took that business plan and developed uh, what would become Betty's Eddie's and ultimately sold that brand into Marimed and then came on to, you know, work within that company to to drive our overall brand portfolio. Gotcha. So how did you get into making uh, edibles? I, I know you said it was specifically like infusions, but like. I'm sure you started with edibles, right? And like the college I did. or something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think I smoked a good amount 
first, I did, those are my first forays in cannabis was definitely smoking. But, you know, once I realized that, you know, cookies and brownies, I, you know, I had friends that did those things for sure. But, um, you know, I guess it didn't get really interesting for me until we started to make caramel. We started to make caramels, um, you know, in like 2010. And, uh, you know, we'd bring them to parties and, you know, uh, different like football games and stuff like that and hand them out. And they were a hit. Um, and, you know, we continued to refine that recipe and do better. And, you know, one of the partners was a, a, a expert grower. So, you know, I st we started we started to grow flour and then we started to learn different extraction processes. And, you know, the original version of Betty's was made with bubble hash, you know, um, and so, you know, everybody's going to solventless today. And, you know, Betty's back in 2011, 2012 was making everything with bubble hash. So, you know, we learned butane extraction. We learned, learned solventless extraction. We learned a lot of different methods uh, for getting oils to a state where you could infuse them. And then, you know, ultimately, while learning about a lot of those extractions, we were out in Oregon on a business trip. My wife tried a fruit chew recipe at home. And when we came home, we tried it and it was like, it was amazing. It, it, it took caramel, what we liked of the caramel recipe and everything we liked about it, like a starburst type candy, brought it together. And, and we had it for cannabis. And um, so, yeah, we, we knew we had something magical kind of early on. And, and it was a group effort. It wasn't just me. It was a, you know, a, a concerted group of folks that that over years put a lot of time and energy into making uh, the brand what it became or what it has become today. Yeah. And uh, if you want to, are those some behind you there? Is that some Betty's Eddie's? Do you want to show them to the camera so that maybe people know what they look like? Would love to. Yeah. So, so um you know, this is a bag of smash and passion, right? So um, this is a uh, Massachusetts bag. So there's 10, 10 shoes within this bag and they're five milligrams of THC each. Um, you know, we do indication specific, um, you know, flavors. So, you know, this is all about, it's an aphrodisiac chew, you know? So, um, you know, the idea would be, you're going to take this with your significant other and, um, and, you know, and enjoy cannabis as well as the aphrodisiac, right? And then, you know, our number one bestseller historically within Betty's ever since we launched it has been Bedtime Betty's. So Bedtime Betty's is, um, you know, really all about helping people with sleep. And, uh, you know, we get a variety of doses, doses for different people because, you know, different doses for different folks. Right. Um, we also now have a version that has melatonin and a version that does not have melatonin. Um, and we're continuing to enhance um, that that platform. You know, we have a pain relief skew, an energy skew, a stress relief skew. And we really do believe that we're not just saying it and then just throwing THC in these products or a little bit of CBD. We are creating, you know, minor cannabinoid cocktails with, you know, herbal supplements to create a delicious chew that delivers on effect. That is what Betty's Eddie's does. Gotcha. And did you say that you're selling that in illinois yet or preparing to yeah they're shipping um we are actively filling dispensaries vaults as we speak right now oh cool yes that's a recent so, development uh, huh yeah yeah i think um you know we started we've started shipping i think first couple orders out went out in december but they were a trickle okay. uh so you know january it really picked up and february it's kind of we're hitting on, on all cylinders now uh getting you know, we're full, full trucks every day going out and, uh, and filling stores as quickly as we can. Yeah. So just, to, uh, uh, you said you started as like, a an infuser or something in Massachusetts Were you like a, a licensed infuser or a licensed brand. And then you got purchased or joined Merrimed rather, or 
How did that a little go bit down? more complicated story? No, I mean, so my story in mass was more of one that really wasn't much success, right? We, um, me before Betty's, you know, we applied for a license in the state of mass and ultimately didn't, didn't get the license, right? Uh, mm -hmm. We didn't score high enough. So coming out of that was really where Betty's started per se. Um, you know, and I would say we started in Colorado. Uh, you know, we brought the brand, the product, the license, you know, the imagery, everything to Colorado. We ended up never selling a product. You know, we, we uh, and through no fault of our own, we partnered with a group out there and I'll, I'll leave their name out of it. Um, but ultimately, you know, we were uh, down in Pueblo. We built out a kitchen completely. You know, we paid for all the licensing for the edible side of the license. And then they end up screwing up their their overall license on the cultivation side and the thing never got open. So, you know, I mean, we had we had a lot of money soaked in. We had we had relocated a person out there to be our main manufacturer. And over two years, we never sold a product. We had sellable product, but we had no way to sell it. And, mm. um, and so that was tough, man. I mean, you know, yeah. you know, speed bumps and hurdles that brands. I mean, the, the success story behind any brand is persistence. And I guess that was our biggest first hurdle. Um, after that, you know, I, I had a relationship with what would become become Maramed. So John Levine and Bob Fireman and, um, you know, through them, they had a partnership that they were working with GTI in Illinois when GTI was getting started in the medical program. And what ended up happening was, um, you know, through Maramed, while Betty's was still ours, uh, you know, we licensed Betty's through Maramed to GTI and it quickly became GTI's number one selling brand on the edible side. And so, you know, Marimed knew they had something special. GTI knew they had something special and we did too. And at that point, you know, we, we continued the conversations with um, our CEO then was Bob Fireman and ultimately Marimed purchased the brand. And two months later, I came on to run product and sales. And um, one of my other founders, uh, our other founders at Betty's is our COO, Tim Shaw. Very cool. Very cool. Um uh, forgive me, you know, for putting you on the spot here, but can you spill the beans? Do you guys ha have other plans for products in Illinois? I mean, I've, cause I talked to John and he mentioned Betty's Eddie's and stuff. Uh, what, uh, are you able to tell any plans that you might have? I'd be happy to. Yeah. I'd be, awesome. I'd be thrilled actually. Yeah. I mean, we are, um, we are not just Betty's Eddie's, right. Betty's is a, is a marquee brand for us. We're very proud of Betty's and we'll continue to develop and innovate Betty's. But Betty's does not define Marimed. Uh, there, we are defined by brands. So I would say the other brands you are in market right now, Bubby's Baked. Oh, yeah. So you're going to see yeah. Bubby's Baked in a major way. Um, we've done a lot of market research in the markets that we do, uh, that we operate. And we feel as though the the one of the places where, you know, we've got a great competitive advantage versus the products that are available is Bubby's. Uh, we have a superior soft baked product. So, you know, when visiting Colorado, visiting these markets that have been out for a while, I mean, most of the cookies and confection products are hard and, and tend to get stale. Um, so, you know, when you look at a cookie, you know, in a grocery store, you got the Chips Ahoy version and then you got kind of a soft, soft baked version. And, you know, we feel as though, you know, we've mastered a soft baked version of a brownie, of a chocolate chip cookie, of a snickerdoodle, of a, of a blueberry muffin that we deliver, um, you know, to a cannabis consumer, you know, that has a, a very good shelf life with all natural ingredients, uh, but stays moist. Um, and so that's, you know, we feel as though, and we're seeing early signs in Illinois with our shipments and our orders and the reorders that Bubby's Baked is going to, is going to make a ba major impact in Illinois. So we're very excited about Bubby's. 
Um, second to Bubby's, uh, you'll be seeing in the next month or so, uh, a brand called Vibations launch. So it's like libations uh, with a V. So think good vibes meets libations. And, and it's all about, you know, it's a liquid IV in cannabis, right? It's a powdered drink mix with powdered cannabinoids that mix into water discreetly, easily, and effectively and, and hit you quickly, right? So it's a 10 minute onset. Um, you know, these are, I, I actually have a bag back here. So this is the vibrations packaging, right? So this is our strawberry lemonade. You can see right on there, it says fast acting. It's in a stick pack, right? So these come in a stick pack. So it doesn't necessarily have to stay in the childproof resealable packaging. I mean, if it's in your home, you'd want to keep it that way. But if it's in a secure adult location, like a pocketbook, I could see somebody put, putting a couple of these in there and going to a show or a concert. And I mean, I've been traveling with them. Um, phenomenal product, phenomenal product. So um, in, in the state of Illinois, we'll have dosages of 10 milligrams per. And, and obviously you want to cut it in half, you can cut it in half, but then we'll actually have high dose as well. Um, so the option to kind of have a low dose or a high dose beverage in a, in a powdered discrete version is coming to Illinois very soon. What would the high dose be? Because my definition of high dose and some people's definition is different. What would your high dose be? Yeah, I mean, 50 a serving is typically what we okay. talk about for a high dose. Um, Maryland yeah. limits us to a 40. But, we, you know, with Betty's, we typically go five, maybe a 20 if there's a place for it, and then a 50. So cool. or the bottom end being 10 and then a 50. But we typically talk about high dose being 50 plus. Yeah. For a serving. So are you where what um another pop quiz what also what states are Merrimed uh operating in so Illinois sure, sounds sure. like Maryland Massachusetts so we're fully vertical in Massachusetts in Maryland now in Illinois right so those are our three vertical states we have a management agreement in Delaware where you know it's a medical program not for profit medical program so we have a management agreement with the largest cultivation facility there. Um, and then we have licensing agreements for our brands uh, in Maine, Puerto Rico, and Rhode Island. Right. Cool. Puerto and Rico. So we have some things that we're working on right did now. Did you say Puerto Rico? I did. Yeah, we license our brands in Puerto Rico. And, you know, we have a retail only in Ohio. So we're mm. building out the state of Ohio, but we're only we're only at the dispensary level right now in Ohio. Sorry for cutting you off. That just really oh, no. caught okay. me off guard. Okay. I, I do want to add to your question previously, though. You know, I, I talked about the edibles brands. So I talked about Betty's and Bubby's and Vibations. Yep. On the on the flower side of things, you know, we do have a craft cultivator's license in Illinois that we're spinning up. And uh, in Massachusetts, uh, you know, Betty in Nature's Heritage, uh, the brand is, you know, depending on the month, the number one flower brand in the state. Um and it's not that we're selling the most units, we're selling for the, some of the most dollars, right? So we're getting some of the highest prices per unit at the same time doing volume and scale. So, so Nature's Heritage is a, is a behemoth of a brand that stands for quality. Um, you know, every jar is hand trimmed and, you know, really, really, you know, crafted flour, high end flour and, you know, pre-rolls, hand rolled pre-rolls, you know, butane concentrates, uh, you know, bubble hash, rosin you know, infused pre-rolls. So, I mean, it really offers everything that a flower uh, concentrate consumer is really going to look for in a brand. That's nature's heritage. And, uh, and like I said, you know, number one or two in Massachusetts, depending on the month, um, you know, top five in Maryland. And, you know, we won't have the canopy to be, you know, a top 
uh, unit producer in Illinois, at least to start. But we're, you know, we are going to hit that market and be, you know, a force to be reckoned with because we'll be crafted, you know, at a small scale in that state and uh, producing some really high end flour. So we're excited to bring nature's heritage to that market as well. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. And just to give you a plug, I, you know, oh yeah, this is a, uh, this is a press release right off of your website. I'm going to share for folks that are watching the video version of the podcast. And I will also try to throw this link in the description if you want to read up. Uh, this is uh, from January 18th, 2022. So I actually just learned about this recently preparing for this interview uh, that I remember John saying it, but I just didn't know the finer details of it. And so, yeah, if folks are wondering, um, Merimed was, uh, they, you acquired a craft cultivation license basically, right? That so, is correct. Yeah. So cool. Well, how is that going? How is that going? Uh, I, yeah, it's going actually great for, for cannabis and, you know, how licensing and the speed bumps have, I mean, Illinois has been great, uh, you know, for, for all the hurdles we deal with in other states, you know, Illinois seems like they want to get these craft licenses off the ground quickly and seem to be work, working really well with the operators. So I have really nothing but great things to say about how how expedient the process has been um, compared to what we've experienced elsewhere. Gotcha. Yeah, I actually just released a report, at least from, a few, you know, considerate anecdotal maybe i try to be fair uh, and and actually there's a lot of things in the article uh that there are like people did disagree on it so i made sure to include um but yeah uh, you know a lot of craft cultivators have been talking about how it hasn't been uh going so well so i mean i guess it's good to hear that 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 it's been going well for you guys so far do you have oh i just answered my own question i was about to answer i was about to ask you if you're operational and it looks like you are. Yes. yes, we are. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So um, do you have those products that you were talking about? You said you will be rolling them out. You guys are probably still in the process of growing and stuff right now. Yeah. So we've got um, Betty's are shipping to to uh, dispensaries across Illinois today, right. like you said, and have been for about a month. Bubbies mm -hmm. are also shipping across the state. In-house is one brand that I didn't talk about. So it's it's really our value brand. It's the only brand I didn't talk about. It's our value brand. So, you know, in-house is offering high quality products, but at value at value prices. So in the places where we can offer value vape, potentially value concentrates, um, you know, kind of baller jar type offerings in, in those aspects and, and still do it with high quality product. You know, that's what in-house is. And so we've been launching in-house disposable vapes and not disposable. I should correct myself. You know, uh, they're really rechargeable, uh, all in ones. Um, so we're launching those across the state, uh, in our stores and in other stores. And those have been taken off. So Bubby's Betty's and in-house vape is really what we're shipping right now with vibrations soon to come. And then nature's heritage coming after that. Yeah. Um, well, one Illinois specific question I could, and I figure this might be right up your alley since you are the chief revenue officer and I don't even know what a chief revenue officer does, but the name, the revenue, rev tell us. Yeah. 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 I mean, in a company like ours, it's, it's really being responsible for top line revenue growth, right? And how do we grow revenue? Our revenue is split between wholesale revenue and retail revenue. So it, it really is a little bit of a two headed monster. Um, you know, uh, the teams are very different that run those two divisions. But I would say the interesting part is 
the more that you can understand of what moves the needle at your retail, the more that you can understand how to sell into others. And, you know, there's also the concept of, you know, reciprocity happening with within state lines and then across state lines. So, you know, that the role of chief revenue officer is making sure that our retail operates as effectively as it can and our wholesale does. And then that symbiotic relationship between both, you know, the cleaner that that is, um, the better the company runs. So that's that's really it's the nexus of that between wholesale and retail. Whoops, sorry about that. Uh, I got my mute caught. Um, so thank you for answering that question. And um, so for that reason, I do think some of my Illinois-specific questions may even be softballs for you. Um, we'll see, though. Uh, so one of the one of the parts uh, in my article that I just uh, released, and um, like I said, I spoke to different craft cultivators on. I'm just curious your perspective as an operator. Some people talk about the size discrepancy in the license that you just got. Um, and this is for the first time I'm ever hearing people talk about this, honestly, because I've floated this idea in the past on my podcast. I'm like, why are you limited to 14,000 square feet? And in the past, people were just like, eh, Cole, I don't really, it's not that they didn't literally say, Cole, I don't want to talk about it, but they were just like, Cole, like that's not even really on my radar right now as a, a concern. But for the first time, like I say, people are talking about uh, one person said, you know, 5,000 is cool. 14,000 is better. Greater than 14,000 is best. Some people talked about maybe matching the size of the currently established licensees, which I think is like 210K um, for flowering canopy. And, and some people still kind of were of the camp that said that they're not pushing for that at all. In fact, some of the established licensees that have been operating in Illinois over the last eight years in the medical program still haven't even built out their entire canopy. Um, so they're just like, let's just focus on what's ahead of us. I'm curious, do you have any thoughts on that topic? I mean, I feel like everybody would welcome more, uh, but I'm just curious. Uh, I guess to put a finer point on my question, some people said that it, it's hard for investors when you've got this license that is so capped, right? Like, they would rather you have more at your disposal. Yeah, I mean, I, look off the off my cuff. I can I, I can give you an, you know a little bit of an un because I mean you catch me a little bit off guard with that. But like, I I do think generally we would be in support. I believe to more canopy. You know, fourteen thousand isn't a ton of space, especially when a dispensary count can be limited to ten in the state. So, you know, if you're planning to do widespread wholesale as well as feed your own retails. I can see where the 14,000 could be a limiting factor if you have a really, really great flower product. Sure. Um, so, and I think we do. So that's, that's where my gut instinct would come from. I, I'd honestly want to take a look at the data of, you know, how many craft grows and what, you know, what the capabilities are to, to really answer specifically, but in general, um, yeah, I think, I think in general, we, we typically support larger, you know, canopy caps, um, we, we've definitely seen that um, in other states and it's impacted us in other states, you know, from that yeah. perspective. So I, I, I um, yeah. Cool. Cool. Well, uh, yeah. And my apologies for not giving you a heads up. This is something that I just started working on recently and just published. So I was just curious since I was like, oh, I didn't even think about the fact that Miramed is a craft grower. Technically, I think it's so, great. You're talking about it. I think it's so. great. You're talking about it. I, I mean, I think, uh, it, you know, 
the flower needs to be grown to be sold. So, you know, giving people an opportunity to grow it and, uh, and produce, you know, meaningful results is important. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm curious, one of the questions that I asked, uh, John, uh, the CEO about, which, you know, it's, it's pretty actually commonplace to hear this from most of the new licensees, like social equity licensees. It's the idea that, you know, um, if I could find it, it's, it's basically the whoops, search is messing up on me here. Um, it's so I actually found this paragraph that puts it, it's, it's actually about Miramed. Oh, and it even has the part that you mentioned about how you're in agreements and markets like Puerto Rico, Maine, um, and other places. Um, but it says typically Miramed would not enter an unlimited license market like Michigan. And our uh, cannabis regulation oversight officer has been talking about that um, topic recently. Um, can you explain to my audience why states like Illinois are more attractive than states like Michigan, for example? Because it's something that that you read about and hear about all, all the time in the media. But I, I just wonder if people understand, like, why? You know what I mean? Sure. I mean, if you're placing any business in a location, um, regardless if it's cannabis or a hairdresser or a laundromat, I mean, one of the first things you're going to do is understand, you know, who are the businesses that are around you and, you know, what's the likelihood that additional businesses are going to arise. Now, you know, in conventional business, nobody, you know, other than liquor stores, nobody can really guarantee you that 10 more stores won't pop up. But that's part of the kind of the pre-work of doing of, of doing homework. So similar in cannabis, you know, as we look at different states, landscapes and regulations, we're identifying places where there's going to be what we call limited license markets and, you know, uncapped markets. So if you look at a limited license market, you know, there's a certain number of licenses that will be given out. And then and then after that, there aren't any. So it's, you know, a lot of times those are called the golden ticket. Um, so, you know, you always want to try and participate in markets that have limited licenses because that's going to ultimately limit competition within that state market. Um, from a business perspective, that benefits people that get those limited licenses. In states that have uncapped licenses, um, and all you have to do is apply, like a Maine, um, you know, and I'm sure there's many others, a Michigan, um, you know, you're able to apply for a license and get a license. And if a thousand or 10,000 other people apply, potentially they're all going to get licenses as well. Um, the risk with that is that you can put a large investment into a cultivation processing series of dispensaries that if a market gets oversaturated, you know, um, even if you're running a really solid business, you know, you may go out of business because you don't you don't have a profitable market to offset that market that you're not making money in. So as companies start to grow, if they're smaller companies and they start in the wrong market. It's not a limited license market. And that market starts to really have a downward trend on pricing uh, as new stores are opening. You know, it's it's um, it's a tough, tough place to be. Um, you know, we see a lot of companies in markets like that. I mean, Michigan was selling gummies for three dollars a pack. Um, they were at retail at three dollars a pack. You know, most ingredient costs plus packaging costs, you know, are a buck fifty um, through two bucks. 
So if if they're wholesaling them in for a buck fifty, and somebody's got to, so it, there's just a lot of money being lost in Michigan. I think a lot of you know minimiz you know minimization of losses, and so that's scary for people. Um, you know, cannabis is hard enough. Um, so I, I think I went along a little bit too long at the answer, but the reality is limited license markets provide you with a little bit of security that you know you got a little bit more time to build the business and to. Um, you know, to build, to build your footprint, whereas unlimited markets provide, um, you know, a little bit more risk for operators in the fact that you don't know how big the pool of competition is going to be in a state. Um, and, and, and yeah, I think that's really the the crux of it. Yeah. And I was just curious because when you were talking, like, I was like, well, geez, they must be freaking like losing a bunch of money, but I'm actually kind of surprised. So Illinois for 2023 got 1.6 billion. Michigan sold 3.06 billion. Yeah. How is how would that be happening if what you're saying? Like, and I've heard of that. By the sucking way, sound. I think there's a huge sucking sound with all the people coming from the bordering states. I think there's a, a large, you know, tourism population that's generated around just going to Michigan to buy cheap weed. And then going back home, I think they've really started a large sucking sound in that area of the country, um, as well as, you know, I mean, it's it is more affordable for people within the state of Michigan. So I think I think, you know, they're probably grabbing a much larger piece of the black market than most other states are, is probably the answer there, as well as sucking from other states. Um, yeah. And it's interesting, you know, I kind of read online like debates about the two approaches. And that is one thing that I have read about the approach in Michigan. It's like if the goal was to eliminate the underground market, that seems to be the way to or the idea that there would be people even wanting to participate outside of the legal framework. I think that's the better way to put it. Because it, it, it's weird how sometimes um, it seems like those people get scapegoated. I call them. So when I read about them in the police blotter, I'm like, well, that's just a young, unlicensed entrepreneur. Yes. You know, I feel I feel bad because uh, so. So but in the case of Michigan, it sounds like. Or or in states like that, like. Yeah, it's just interesting to me because it almost sounds like that would be the goal of like legalization, like if. So, yeah, but, survival of the fittest, right? I mean, everybody gets an opportunity in survival of the fittest. I think right. I think you're right. I think the way that the government has rolled this out state to state, you know, if you want to take a look at what the, the rules of the game are in each state and how to maximize the business opportunity by looking at the rules and figuring out how to work best with them, then I think you're as a company, you're looking at li limited license markets. I think if you look at it from the other angle, like you're talking about, Cole, Ultimately, what's best for, you know, generally best for business survival of the fittest, allow people to, you know, compete freely. Yeah, I, I think. Well, and know, even the and consumer, like saying. you said, when you like you said, the consumer too. not only in terms of affordability, but in terms of like. Yeah, yeah, you kind of said it. Sorry, I was about to flip back to the business side. It's like the consumer and affordability and access to the product, but then. Uh, one of the things that I was going that I was going to ask you about, just with regard to limited licenses, it does seem like, and you kind of naturally went there. It seems like in those states, that's where criminal enforcement continues. And I won't name any names, but some people call 
the approach that Illinois has and the idea of limiting licenses prohibition 2.0. And I don't know if they mean it that way, but like it is remarkable that in those states, like criminalization continues. And I'm just curious. I did ask John Levine about it. Like, what do you think the appropriate uh, and, and my apologies, I, sh- I probably maybe should have sent, sent you this ahead of time to just mentally prepare you. But what do you think that would be the uh, mechanism, you know, uh, because right now it seems like the the primary enforcement mechanism, it's not like if like I feel like if I open up a restaurant or a, a bar, like depending on what I'm doing there, it might end up with me going to jail. But for the most part, it's like somebody's going to come in and go, hey. You can't do that. Here's like a really big fine, and we're gonna put a would, sign on you your door. So. You would yeah. hope so, right? Yeah, maybe. maybe. It depends. Yeah. I mean, True. It depends on what I'm doing. If I'm having like a bunch yeah, of, underage... I mean, I think you're, you know, if you're embezzling money through your credit card machines in your restaurant, I don't sure. know that they're gonna give you a warning. You know, they're probably gonna come in and and bust you after you've done a lot of. <laughs> <you know? laughs> yeah. But I, yeah, I, I, but I, the point doesn't get lost on me, Cole. So I, yeah. I think what I'm saying. Yeah, uh, it, it seems like in those cases, the answer is it's serious. It's like you get a sign put on your door. This this place is closed and you get in trouble. And sometimes they wrote and write a newspaper article about you or whatever. But it doesn't end up with you in the in the cage, you know, which I always thought was the whole goal. And that's the thing that has always struck me. So what do you think, like, is the maybe better answer? Because obviously we don't have it yet. And I know that's a tough question, but it is, it's a tough question. I mean, and I would say, you know, there's there's me, the person, and there's me, the revenue officer working for a public company. And so I've got to make sure my opinions are clear, right? I, you know, I think as the revenue officer for a, revenue officer for a public company, you know, we're very close. We, the rules are the rules and we play by them and we try and optimize our business to play by them. So that's the revenue officer talking. Ryan Crandall, not the revenue officer, the advocate for cannabis. Uh, you know, look, I think survival of the fittest is the way that things should operate. I think, you know, personally that it's it's a difficult thing that state governments are allowed to tax at exorbitant rates a plant that should now be legal, you know, and is and is and is providing medicinal benefit for people. So you know, I, yeah, I, I, I hear what you're saying loud and clear, you know, um, I do. And I, and I, you know, personally agree with it. And I, I think ultimately, I hope ultimately that things will go in that direction. Um, I, you know, truthfully as a, you know, being a a person, you know, the United States, my whole life, personally, I, I think capitalism, you know, the way that States license things, whether it's, you know, uh, you know, whatever it is, states states are, you know, bringing money in the coffers through taxes. So I don't think we're going to see a day where cannabis isn't taxed, even though I think it would be the right thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. A lot of people always said it's never going to become legal until they can tax it. Right. So yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um. Well, what? just one quick point, And I only say this because I saw it on Twitter this morning and and you happen to say something similar to it. And I'm just curious what your response would be. And it's it's just my lame way of looping in the name of my show, too. Okay. Um, you said as you said, your answer is the CRO CRO is that you have to play by the rules. Yeah. Well, technically speaking, you are playing by the rules, but you're also a, like uh, committing federal crimes, uh, if not. La, for the la, la, la. 
if not for the Cole memo. And I hope you get the reference. I uh, do get the reference. I get so. the reference. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, with the Cole memo, it told us that if we do play by the rules at the state right. level. So I guess you could say, yeah, you're still playing. That by we the were rules. playing by the rules. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's still a true state. Fair enough. Fair enough. I just think it it's another ironic thing where only because some operators are a little bit more there's this one clip that admittedly I think is a little bit taken out of context right now that's kind of going viral about an operator calling for the criminalization of cannabis. I mean they're definitely you could say saying that um but I also think just given the greater context that uh you know anyways um when you see that like that's you know it just that's why I bring that up because it's like you're talking about keeping criminalization going yet if we want to talk about what's actually going on yet right you're you're saying you're abiding by the eight strictures of the Cole memo but in all seriousness you you're still like doing a federal crime yes you know so yes and have been for a long time now <laughs> yeah so yeah you know, and, and, you know, as being the revenue person for a company, I mean, I'm responsible for all the sales. So it's like if I mean, every every, you know, unit of cannabis sold is ultimately, you know, in a forecast. Right. So it's uh, yeah. I mean, we 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 are very, very focused on abiding by state regulations in every in every state we do business. And and if the line is here, we're one step beyond the line and trying to be ahead of it. Um, you know, from childproofing to, you know, uh, designs on packaging to, you know, safety of, of how we make the products. So, you know, we always we put quality first. We put safety for our consumers first. And, uh, you know, we, we want to run a company legally and responsibly um, for the benefit of our shareholders. So that's that's what we do every day. That's what we that's what we're focused on, um, you know. But certainly, you know, the advocacy within cannabis uh, is something that's important to all of us personally as well. And and it's a balance. Yeah. And one reason I bring that up, and maybe this will bring this topic to a close. Uh, if you can't tell, I have like a little bit of a passion for this, uh, this, the decriminalization element or what I perceived to be the decriminalization element of legalization. And in many ways, I feel like there are shortcomings. Like it's not just Illinois. There are other states where, you know, you you can't grow at home. Illinois, you can grow at home if you have a medical card, uh, but there are many states where where you can't. And so, for all those reasons, like that's why I bring up some of these topics. Especially, you know, it's I start it about I I talk about limited licensing and stuff, but it relates to you know, these continued ways in which cannabis is criminalized. Uh, just to give you an example that I'm sure. Uh, you're all too familiar with like the idea of possession limits. Like I could go to Walmart right now and like, I'm sure actually a lot of people are doing it about right now because Super Bowl Sunday is coming up and they're packing up beer and alcohol and like, yeah, everything. buying more than they're going to drink for their friends. Like, you know what I mean? And that's what I've never understood about the possession limit idea. Um, especially when the answer to exceeding that possession limit is still criminalization. It's like, what, who are we protecting with these things? Yeah. yeah, no, that, yeah. I mean, they're commonsensical things that still need to be challenged and challenged heavily. And they, and I, yeah, I do agree with you. I mean, that's, that makes no sense. Yeah. Well said, well said. 
Well, um, Chris, or sorry, Ryan, uh, yeah. what's your last name, Ryan? Crandall. C-R- Crandall. That's why I had in my, I was like, why do I have that in my head? Um, yeah. Uh, any other bases? Are you guys, so is Illinois the most recent state you've gotten into? Yeah. So we just opened a dispensary in Tiffin, Ohio. We okay, just opened yeah, right. a retail store in Casey, Illinois. And then we just opened our processing facility in Illinois, in Mount Vernon, Illinois, where we also have a dispensary. Yeah. Yeah. And when I, I lost myself in that thought, uh, um, I was going to ask one of the things I don't feel like I've seen. And I try to ask this question because I have a passion for decriminalization and these advocacy efforts. Um, and I know you're the CRO, um, but I didn't have as much time with the CEO. And so I always try to ask people at these companies, like, do they have any plans to, you know, some people work with like last prisoner project and stuff like that. Um, I was just curious, do, does Merimed do that or um, stuff like that? You know? Yeah, we just actually formed an alliance with Last Prisoner Project and all of our delivery. So we do delivery out of our, well, in any store that allows delivery, we do delivery. And uh, we're actually rounding up for Last Prisoner Project at our delivery locations in Mass, uh, soon to be in Delaware. Um, yeah, so I mean, I think we'll be doing more and more of that. Um, I think Last Prisoner is literally one of the first ones that we're doing this year and just rolled it out in the month of January. So we'll be carrying that forward for 12 months with those guys. Um, there's another partnership we just started, but I, it's escaping me. Um, and it's a, it's a national association, but I, it's not coming to mind right now, but so we, uh, we do have two initiatives. Uh, one of which is the last prisoner project. Yeah. Do you guys do like a lot of lobbying? You know, like I'll see people like I just interviewed Charlie Bactel, for example. I'll see him at like the safe banking hearings and stuff like that. Like, do people are your people uh, at state level or federal level like kind of doing stuff like that? I would say yes. Um, Yes. Yes. I would say we we are planning to do more. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we've been fairly light on the lobbying side historically as a company, and I would say that we will strengthen that over time. But that hasn't been something we've been, you know, in the past, certainly several years, uh, laser focused on. I would say we'll do more going forward. Sure. Cool. I always like to ask, you know, it seems like people like that, those are the people that you'll see last the standard you know, test of time, right. You know, cause you got to be there to know like how to play by the rules, as you say, um, sure. you got to be there to hear the rules being drafted Agreed. and, and, and as they're formed. Right. And being right. in Bingo. and being, yeah. So I, I think um, the good news is we've got several folks within our company that are very engaged at the state level with folks that are writing regulations in multiple States. And um, you know, we are being heard and listened to, and I do think we have good experiences uh, to learn from and, and there's a lot to fix within the regulation, uh, you know, in these different states and in any state that we're active in, we are very active working with the commission to improve regulation in real time. So, you know, uh, crawl, walk, run, we try and do, you know, one stick at a time. Right. And it's like, you can't, you can't do it all at once, but we definitely try and do little pieces every day. Yeah. And uh, to close, I just wanted to talk about just other hot topics that have been in the news lately, more topical things. Um, Just two things actually um hemp and d d schedule slash reschedule by the way that kind of got the last topic that we'll talk about which is reschedule slash d schedule really came back up 
uh, in the news this week based on some rumors. So, um, but first of all, like I said, I was talking to Charlie Bactel and I've been asking everybody in the cannabis industry because it seems to directly impact it, uh, what their thoughts are on uh, like hemp. And lately I've been hearing people jump into the space. I'm curious, uh, is Merimed in the space? Do they have any thoughts about the space, you know? Well, I mean, from an innovation standpoint, we're using hemp-derived cannabinoids in the majority of our products. So we are participating um, in the hemp-derived marketplace. I would say we're keeping all of our products today within uh, regulated state systems um, that we operate. So everything that we talked about today is really where we're focused. You know, there are companies out there, um, you know, that are in the regulated markets and are starting to go, to go direct to consumer. I'm not going to name any of them, but there are several. Um, yeah, I think, they, I think they're, you know, uh, I don't want to speak for their businesses, but it seems as though those companies may be searching for other ways to get to revenue um, and, 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 have, and have decided that the risk, risk profile associated with doing that is, is at a level that they're comfortable with. I think um, I'm not sure that we're comfortable with it yet. Um, the, the risk direct consumer model. Yeah, I, I, yeah. We've all read the farm bill. Um, and I think there's lawyers that have read the farm bill, uh, you know, and, you know, to me, it's gray. Um, so, you know, I think as a company, we've, we've, we've decided that, you know, we're a cannabis company that's going to participate in regulated markets. And we feel as though, the direct-to-consumer hemp cannabinoid products are unregulated at this point and likely to be regulated at some point. And therefore, you know, we've stayed away. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I do think it's kind of smart in the sense that, like you say, they're not only is it a money-making move, but I actually got inspired of this uh, from an older interview that I saw by Charlie Bactel. It wasn't the one that I, uh, I, I, it conducted myself, um, but it was an older one. And they were talking about Farm Bill at the time because you remember it started and everybody thought it was CBD. Yeah. You remember the explosion of CBD? I'm and they were talking about rolling out like a CBD brand like in Walgreens and CVS. And they were just talking about it. I don't know that they ever did it. Um, but they were saying that that's Coca Cola was going to have a CBD and all their true, all their drinks with the Aurora deal for a little bit too, all that same time. Yeah, true. Um, and so the idea was, though, you get your brand out there on the shelf and you don't have to pay 280E on it and all the other benefits that people are doing the THCA stuff for nowadays. Um, that is an interesting, I will say that is an interesting aspect for it. I get what you're saying. And I've heard well, that the interesting others. aspect for me, like the, that I didn't think about Cole that, that, you know, I have recently is, you know, a lot of um, the state governing bodies for cannabis will say, basically, you can forfeit your license if you do anything that we don't agree with. Mm. So that's that when that when that idea was posed to me, I said, oh, oh, it's not just we put that new business at risk with doing something that may be deemed unregulated. We're putting our core business potentially at risk and, it, or, and the core licenses. And at that point, I said, and, and others, uh, you know, that that's that's a bigger issue and a bigger risk for a company. Um, and, and that's what companies have to decide for themselves. So we haven't decided to participate um, in that market for those those reasons, in my opinion. 
Yeah. Well, uh, interesting question on that before we move on and close with D schedule slash reschedule. Um, do you think there's going to be a THCA Super Bowl ad or something like that? I would. I was so. thinking about it. There 2024, could be. man. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I, you know, I was blown away. I, I, uh, I listened to Rogan. Yeah. I listen to this podcast every now and then uh, along with others, but um, it was probably like five months ago. I started to hear CBDMD um, mm-hmm. commercials for THC gummies. Right. Direct, Delta nine THC direct mm-hmm. to consumer. Um, and I was blown away. And like, I, I went around the office here showing people the CBDMD website and like, you know, it started a real conversation within our walls you know, here's this public company and they've decided to go direct to consumer and advertise on a, on a very large platform on Rogan's podcast that they are going direct to consumer. You know, um, there's some other brands that have done it as well. So, and they haven't been clobbered yet. Now, I don't think they're, I don't think they're raking it in either. I'm not sure why, Um, but you know, it's interesting that it's been hanging out there for this long and that it's allowed to go on for this long, but Similar to the rumors that you said you heard around rescheduling, descheduling, I've heard the same and and even more so recently in the last couple of weeks. Uh, I've also heard that, you know, this loophole around uh, hemp based cannabinoids could get closed as well. As uh, a result of maybe rescheduled, descheduling? I, I, I haven't heard the two linked. I've just okay. heard both kind of pieces of chatter uh, sure. more so over the last couple of months than I have over the last eight months, for instance. You know, interesting. Yeah. But yeah. certainly, deschedule, reschedule. I've heard louder than yeah. than that crowd. But I have heard that crowd several times the last couple of weeks. So I'd be interested to see whether or not that's something that's going to happen as well. Yeah, I won't play the ad because I'm sure it doesn't. It wouldn't be great on the podcast, but also it would get the podcast taken down. But I get blasted by these ads on YouTube all the time, and I don't want to give them free advertising. So, but it's just hilarious how blatantly obtuse they advertise it. They're yeah. like. Like in this one scenario, a cop, he he literally, he's like, I bought this offline. Is this illegal? And then he's like, I don't know. Let's call Uncle Bob. And they call Uncle Bob and he's like in his police uniform. And he's like, yeah, it's legal. It's THCA. I'm eating some gummies right now. And it's like, that's, but that's not, that can't, the cops can't eat gummies. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's just, it's funny because it is the real thing, as you say. And as even Charlie said, they're directly identical products. Um Police and firefighters, and don't quote me on this, but I, I heard that police and firefighters unions, it might just be firefighters, up here are working to get cannabis removed from the testing. Yeah. Cannabis-friendly uh, relationships with firefighters and police unions are being discussed up here. If anybody needs it, it's those two groups <laughs> because they go through are. a lot, you know, so they need sure. some ability to reprieve. Yeah. Um, Everybody should have access. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's legal. Why not? So um, anyways, to close, uh, any thoughts on uh, Reese? I mean, so let's just background real quick. Um, There was a rumor. I don't even remember who it was, but it was a pretty reliable source. Um, They said that, you know, there could be some big news this week. I will also add, though, that Marijuana Moment produced a report shortly thereafter saying that they were told by a Biden administration official that it's been waived off for this week, which makes it sound like that it, something was going to happen. Um, I, I want to make sure I get that report right, but just at a face value, I wanted to give some background on why we're talking about this in general, but I'm, I'm just curious, 
at face value, um, what your thoughts are on rescheduling um, cannabis, which does actually seem what is going to happen. I've not heard any talk about descheduling um, specifically. That's just a wish list thing for me and a lot of other advocates. But let's start with re, uh, rescheduling and what your thoughts are maybe on that possibility since it seems like it's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we're all very excited by the oper- by the by the possibility of it happening. I think we're a little bit guessing as to, you know, rescheduled, okay, but rescheduled to what? Right. And there are big rumors, right? So, um, but I think the details of what it gets rescheduled to will dictate, you know, uh, the rules of the road going forward and what that looks like. Um, but I, I think, um, you know, rescheduling should help with, you know, it being considered federally illegal and potentially impact 280E, um, you know, um, I don't know whether they, uh, yeah, I, I think it's it, a lot of things could happen. I think, I think cannabis companies should appreciate overnight. They should become more valuable overnight as, as that, as that moniker is removed. And then, you know, what new regulations now apply? I think that's part of what people, people are thinking about all the positive impact and not to say it's a negative impact, but what I would look, I would phrase it as what are some of the new challenges that cannabis has to deal with? You know, what are some of the new regulations? What are the, some of the new things that we have to look at and pay attention to? So I think it's, there's going to be a benefit side and then there'll be a side of us, you know, the industry learning, you know, how to best approach a rescheduled environment. Yeah. And I want to bounce off of that, but just real quick, I wanted to correct myself uh, slightly. The report that Marijuana Moment uh, released was Biden administration official disputes rumor of imminent marijuana scheduling decision and amid heightened speculation. And they didn't wave it off until next week. As I said, they waved it off entirely, at least oh. uh, waved off the speculation. So I just wanted to um, make that a little bit more clear. Check out this report. I'll try to throw it in the podcast description, but I wanted to make sure I didn't mislead any people because I know there's a lot of excitement around this topic. And back to your topics on or your thoughts on uh, rescheduling. Um, what do, what do you think? Maybe some of the things because I'm curious. I've been trying to calm people down actually about rescheduling because people are some of the advocates are afraid of rescheduling that I talk to, and I always say it's a lame plug for my show, but I always say, hey, the coal memo we're basically operating in. Uh, we're not taking the Controlled Substances Act into effect at all. So these that's how these state markets are running. Um, so calm down. It's going to be okay. I don't think they're going to go away as long as the Cole memo is a thing um, or the Garland memo as it may be updated. Um, but thoughts? I, yeah, I think, you know, we, um, I don't Have like... you heard any bad things <laughs> like for you as an operator, I guess I'm asking. Um, no, my, I think, you know, we don't, we don't like to guess as a company. Sure. So Fair I would say, you know, for me personally, looking at it, I say, yeah, I, I get I get worried um, about the government the government processes, right? So, I mean, we are going to go into if it does get you know talked about as a controlled substance, does it get closer to you know FDA enforcement and and some of the regulation around those products, and how far does it go? Does it go down a pharmaceutical path? You know, does it go down more of a conventional CPG path? I think those are all to be determined. And, and you know, 
as you stated before, it's like it's better to be involved in the creation of the regulation. Well, I think right now that regulation is being created behind closed doors, right? Or at least being discussed. So it'd be interesting to understand what route their rescheduling is really going to ultimately send cannabis down. Is it going to bifurcate and some goes farmer, some goes CPG? You know, I don't, you know, I think we're all guessing. I think, you know, depending on who you are, you have your own guess of what that's going to be. But sure. I, I certainly think it's going to change. And I do certainly think that pharma and CPG are are sitting at the table looking at how they can, you know, work with the regulation to manipulate a portion of this market becoming their market. Gotcha. Well, uh, Ryan, I just want to thank you so much for being generous with your time and uh, chatting all things cannabis with me today. I'd love to do this again sometime if you'd be up for it. I'm sure that there will be a lot of exciting things coming for you in the future as you expand in Illinois and other states. So did you have fun today? I did, Cole. Thank you very much for having me, man. And uh, I just wanted to add, I you are Barack Obama's favorite podcast. No, well, no, that was a satirical post. Uh, but I have gotten a few people. Uh, it made me well, laugh. I knew like, you had too. That was yeah, pretty yeah. good, though. I liked. That. Yeah, pretty yeah. good. Thank you for. Uh, I'll have to feature that at the end of the podcast or sometime soon. I made this satirical post because Barack Obama every year makes his list of favorite content, and so. I made this thing that just speech and it, it was a remarkable. I, I, I mean, I'm proud of how I just threw it together. It looks real. Um, good. But, you had to double take it, but it was yeah. pretty good. I, I think what throw, and the reason I, I put it on the nose, he's like got his thumbs up. I, I put that on to like, let people know that it was indeed fake. Try to make it a little bit more like on the nose that it was fake. Uh, but a lot of people still, was they were like emailing me like congratulations and all this stuff and I was like thank you like it almost broke my heart that like because people were so excited for me you know they're like bring them down yeah dude you need to do like you need to like every couple of weeks just do a different famous person <laughs> yes yes <laughs> that would be perfect that would be oh, perfect thanks for having me. yeah absolutely folks I hope you found as much value in this conversation as I did we'll see you on the next episode of the Cole memo take care. Yes.